This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture lesson that was read came from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. The reading was from the second chapter and the first through the tenth verses. But allow me to lift up the eighth verse, which reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The very familiar story is told of a young boy who was given the responsibility to care for some sheep on the side of a mountain. The little boy knew his responsibility and he was given this as the townspeople took care of their general business throughout the course of any given day. This young boy, as he watched the sheep, became very bored. And in a way to awaken his excitement, he screamed out, Wolf! Wolf! Which, of course, caused the entire men of the town to grab their pitchforks and their tools and their articles of weaponry to run to the scene where this boy was watching the sheep, only to find out that the little boy was actually giving a false alarm. To their amazement, the young lad started laughing. Townspeople rebuked him as they should, but went back to doing their normal routine. A few minutes after, the boy did the very same thing, shouting, wolf, wolf! And of course, the townspeople ran to his aid, only to find out that it was a repeat of what had happened before. It was a false alarm. They did not take now this joke as funny, and they were upset. They went back to doing their normal course of duty. The little boy felt so amused by it that he did it one more time. Wolf, wolf. The people ran out, and now they're completely exasperated. They chastised the young man. They said, you cannot do this thing because it is not right. He rolled with laughter. Why? Because it was funny to ease his boredom. As you all are familiar with the story, the people went back to the town and no sooner had they gone back to the town and this little boy was reveling in his delight, a wolf showed up. And the wolf started to run amok among the sheep. And to his dismay, the boy cried out, wolf, wolf. But as you can expect, no one responded. And the little boy lost all of the sheep. I told this story, very familiar story, not so much to focus on the lie that the boy told, but more so to focus on the part where the people stop taking him seriously. You see, you can spend so much time in waiting and in anticipation for something to happen, and the longer that it takes to happen, the less seriously we take it. So this morning, I'd like to talk about God. And with this title, Taking God Seriously. Taking God Seriously. Let us pray. 
Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you now that we have come to this preaching hour. We have seen many things. We have experienced many things. We have done many things. And Lord, your word says, even as you departed, that you would be coming soon. But Lord, that soon come seems to be taking a lot longer than we anticipated. And Lord, many of us, if we are honest, have fallen into apathy and have failed to take you seriously. And so today, Father, we pray that you grant us now the kind of heart that will hear your words clearly. And as we go through this message and your word becomes apparent, may we take you more seriously. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. And the church all over the world, we say amen, amen, and amen. It is my job to establish in your minds the truth and wisdom of the Bible so that you can see your need to know that what is contained in it offers you the opportunity and the ability to enter into a positive relationship with God. We lead and teach from the scriptures for the sole purpose that you will come to a place where God is not just a figment of one's imagination, but a very real part of how you live and how you relate to each other. Many of us probably grew up in the church, but kind of drifted away. Some of us picked up something about faith from either our mothers or our grandmothers, etc. And as such, we have a certain sense about God. Still, some of us got very involved in the church at some point, but still feel today like something is missing. Lastly, there are some among us that simply do not care one way or the other, and we only find ourselves caring for the things of God and coming to church when there may be a wedding, a baptism, or even a funeral. So the question today for all of us is quite simply this. What is it going to take for you to take God seriously? Like the boy who cried wolf, we know exactly how to get people riled up for our own amusement and pleasure. But the time will come when the gig will be up and you will have to come to terms with your own deceit for yourself. Let's be clear. You cannot ride on your mother's or your grandmother's faith. You have to come to the place where you have to make the decision for yourself. It is either that you're going to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord or he is not. But you must make the choice and the decision for yourself. You and you alone. The problem I find is that many people do not believe that they are actually crying wolf. You walk around thinking that everything is fine, but really and truly, you're really crying wolf. Every moment of the day, you are testing God to see whether or not he is real because of the chances and the things that you're taking in your life, seemingly thinking that tomorrow is promised to you. But tomorrow is promised to no one. And so you find that you think you just might have enough time. Crying wolf means that you are only at stage one or stage two of a three-stage process in taking God seriously. Here's what I mean. As it relates to the Bible and God, many of us are satisfied with stage one. What is stage one? Well, stage one is knowing the facts about the gospel. 
That's stage one. You see, knowing the facts mean that we know of the person and the work of Christ, but that's as far as it goes. We've been to enough Sunday schools. We've watched enough preachers on television. We've even read our Bibles, and we've gone to Christian school or some learnings that we have had at some point, and we are comfortable with knowing about the gospel. But you and I know that there is something very different about knowing someone versus knowing about someone. In fact, I know that former President Barack Obama is married to Michelle Obama and that they have two daughters, Sasha and Malia. President Obama's father was Kenyan and he was raised by his grandparents on his mother's side. He was born in Hawaii and he went to both Columbia and to Harvard universities. And prior to running for the Senate, he was a community organizer. But do I know former President Obama. I know much about him from what I've seen and what I have read from what he has written, but I do not know him. So my point is that many of us have the facts about the gospel and the facts about Jesus, but we really do not know the Savior. And because knowing the facts of the gospel cannot save you, hear me church, knowing the details and the facts about the gospel and about Jesus cannot save you. You need to take God seriously. This leads us to stage two. Stage two is welcoming the terms of the gospel. We, this is where we, we sort of accept the, the ideology that we can get saved from sin and enter into a new life with God. I dare say if I talk to many of you in the church, you can tell me that with no issues or problems. You know that, yes, Jesus saves. And you know and you're comfortable with the terms of the gospel. But the gospel requires that we make a choice regarding two roads. There is the broad road that leads to destruction and many there be that find it and then there is the the narrow road that leads to life and only few there be that find it but to make this kind of choice you have to first come to grips with what you're going to do about this thing called sin is it a real phenomenon or is it some cleverly concocted scheme to bring people into some kind of a allegiance so we can get your money but many of us Believe that we have enough time. I got enough time. I can do all the things I want to do. I have enough time. I do not need to make a commitment today. To be clear, church, even if you welcome the idea of sin and salvation, that is not enough. You need to take God seriously. So what we have here are the first two stages. Stage one is knowing the facts about the gospel. And stage two is welcoming the terms of the gospel. And if you find that you are in either of these stages right now in your life, then my brothers and sisters, let me make it plain, you are crying wolf. Which brings us to stage three. Stage three is receiving the Christ of the gospel. Now this is where the rubber meets the road. Stage three is about setting yourself to live as a true follower of Jesus Christ through cross-bearing 
and sacrificial service. After choosing life, you must now be willing to surrender it. I choose you, Christ, but what you're asking of me is that I give up every single thing that I have asked you for. Doesn't seem to make much sense, and I can understand why most people choose not to do it. The fact of the matter is, the things that you have, the things that you own, the things that you work for, you've placed such a high value on them that to have a God turn around and say, listen, I'm going to bless you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think, and when I bless you, give it back to me. I want you to give me the very thing that is closest to your heart. For the truth of the matter is, if you are willing to lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. Brothers and sisters, that's a hard pill to swallow. And I can understand why there are many people who will know the facts about the gospel and be comfortable with it. There are many people who will welcome the terms of the gospel and be comfortable with it. But there's not a lot of people that are going to be comfortable with receiving the Christ of the gospel, who says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, you want to receive me, be ready to die. So my point in all of this is that most of us are stuck at stage one, knowing the facts of the gospel. Most of us are stuck at stage two, welcoming the terms of the gospel. But we need to move beyond these two stages and get to stage three, receiving the Christ of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, making it to stage three is taking God seriously. So again, I ask the question on this Sunday morning, what is it going to take for you to take God seriously. Well, let's see if we can get some help from our text. Verse 1 in Ephesians, the second chapter, read this way. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons and daughters of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Oh, brother, this is a hard text. But in all essence, in all essence, it is saying that prior to you having saving faith in Jesus Christ, you were a child of wrath, just like everybody else. However disgusting you think people are, brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you is you might as well be looking in the mirror. We were all part of this wrathful generation. And to make matters worse, here's what Paul is saying about you. And now listen, I'm not pointing fingers at you without pointing three more at me. But I'm pointing at you, and this is what Paul says. You were dead in your trespasses, dead in your sins. You walked according to this world because you followed Satan, dead. You are a son or daughter of disobedience, dead. You conducted yourselves in the lust of your flesh, dead. You fulfilled the desires of your flesh and followed your own mind, dead. 
You were a child of wrath, dead. You're just like everyone else, the walking dead. This is what the text is saying about you. Now you may say, Pastor, that's not me. In fact, what you may be saying is, I ain't dead in no sin. Well, you can't stop smoking even though you want to stop and you've tried several times. You can't stop drinking though you try to stop, but you can't. You can't stop gambling. You can't stop harboring jealousy. You can't stop contempt in your heart. You can't get rid of it all because you are dead in your trespasses and dead in your sin and you don't even know it. Your ignorance is no excuse. And while that may be passable on some level, you know it. Which means that you are now doubly accountable. Dead in your trespasses. Dead in your sin. Furthermore, you may say, I don't follow the world or Satan. Well, there is much out there that is attractive to human nature and to true Christians. And we can see, despite 2,000 years of preaching by the church, the overwhelming majority is still following the broad way. I preach sermons and sermons. I've listened to sermons and sermons, and somehow only a few that seem to be trickling in, while the majority of the people still believe that it's okay to cry wolf. You have to have the latest gadgets and all of this other stuff. And again, I'm telling you, you know, materialism is a real thing in the world. But what I'm saying is, in a, in a way, the world has you instead of you having the world. And the scriptures tell us to be in the world, but not of the world. I can't forgive my brother or my sister. I can't forgive my husband or my wife for what they did to me. In fact, I wish something bad might happen to them. Better yet, let me do the same thing they did to me. Dead in your trespasses. Dead in your sin. And again, you say, I don't follow my own mind. I lean on the Lord. I lean on God's ever unchanging hand. I ain't following my own mind, but no one can tell you anything. You do what you want, whenever you want, because you can. You consider yourself your own boss, and no man or woman is going to take that away from you. You work hard for yours, and you're going to keep it. Well, brothers, if any of this, and sisters, if any of this sounds like you, then it proves Paul's point. I'm not making this up. I'm simply telling you that this is what the scriptures tell us. And even the little discomfort that you might be feeling right now, as you're listening to this message, <laughs> brothers and sisters, that's hope. That's at least you know the Holy Spirit is pricking you and has not given up on you yet. Even if you're feeling that little bit of uncomfortable and you feel like changing the YouTube channel or turning off Facebook right now because you don't like what you're hearing, what I'm telling you, stay. Because God is not through with you just yet. So Paul goes on to say in verse 4, watch this, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even, here it is church, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and he raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But God, I said before, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. But God, this is exciting for me because the but implies a complete reversal or a turning point that serves to alter anything that I had said to you before. You see why it's good to wait for the good news? You could have left at the dead, but God kept you. And, 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 and in other words, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God. <laughs> I walked according to this world because I followed Satan. But God, I was a son or a daughter of disobedience. But God, I conducted myself in the lust of my flesh. But God, I fulfilled the desires of my flesh and followed my own mind. But God, I was a child of wrath. But God, I was just like everyone else. But God. But God what, pastor? That sounds like good church preaching. But God what, pastor? Here it is. But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love with which he loved you and me, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. So when you, <laughs> when you were dead in your sin, dead and not even knowing that you're in sin, following the ways and the patterns of this world and following Satan, dead, 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 but God made you alive in Christ. And, and, and why did God do this? Why did God do this? Well, because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me. This is what his word says. Somebody right now need to hear that God loves you. You're sitting right now in the miry muck of all the choices and the mistakes you have made. You're sitting right now in the failure of disappointment, not just for yourself, but for your family. You're sitting there thinking that you have absolutely nothing else to look forward to. And I'm telling you that right there in the midst of your muck and your mire, you are not by yourself because Jesus Christ is sitting right next to you and he's telling you, but God, but God, how does he do it? He, he, he makes us alive together in Christ. And then he sits us with him in heavenly places, in, in places of authority. And with what, Sister Holly, does he do this? With what does he do this? Well, he does this with grace. Verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, meaning you didn't bring anything to the table. It, the text says, Paul, read it, verse 8. It says, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. <laughs> For we, me, I'm his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
That's the rub. You have been saved by grace, not of works that you can go around and lord it over other people and boast. It is by grace. But what is this grace? Well, we've heard the word used many times, but what does it really mean? Well, grace actually means unmerited favor. It means that God gave you a gift that you don't deserve and, and, and that we cannot even earn. It is a free gift that he gives to anyone who chooses to believe in him. Since we can't earn it, since it's a gift from God, we must always continually give God glory for saving us. But grace is not mercy. Grace means we get something we don't deserve, and mercy means we don't get what we do deserve. Eternal punishment and separation from God. When Jesus died for us, he took on your sins and mine, and he became sin for all of us. He took on what he did not deserve, so we wouldn't have to. And when he was raised from the dead, he overcame the devil for good. He became victorious forever. So our text says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have now been given this opportunity to join him in that victory if we will just believe in him confess his name, repent of our sins, be buried with him in baptism, and be raised again in newness of life. Included in that we, my brothers and sisters, is you. You are included in that we. So, so you know that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And you, but you know that God loved you with an everlasting love because of his grace and his mercy. He made you alive in Christ. So, you know all of this. You've heard it all before. Pastors preach this from pulpits Sundays after Sunday. Brings me back to my original question. Knowing all of this, what will it take for you to take God seriously? Will it be when crisis hits your life? Will it be when you've gotten into some trouble and you cry out? Will it be when you've lost your employment or your livelihood? Will it be when tragedy and devastation come and hit you at your doorstep? What will it take? What will it take for you to take God seriously? If you're not sure, well, I've got really good news for you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a really good day. You've been given now the opportunity to become a child of God. Don't pass up that great blessing. Jesus came that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And he really does love you. My goodness, Jesus is so amazing. Jesus will accept you in his amazingness just as you are. Just as you are. You don't need to get fancy and you know, pretty up yourself while you're in a mud pit. Makeup don't matter in a mud pit, right? So the fact of the matter is he takes you just as you are. Accept his grace and his mercy. Become a new creature in him. Don't put it off for it's all too important. 
For when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. For you might think it is impossible for you to be saved and for you to find God, but here is what the word says. What is impossible for man is possible for God. So listen, you might just be the camel that can make it through the eye of a needle. For what's impossible to you, to man, is possible for God. So when Satan comes knocking on your door, I love to say, Satan, Satan, is that Satan at the door? Jesus, could you get that for me? <laughs> That's how I like to think of it. My brothers and my sisters, what will it take for you to take God seriously? Well, the first step is to stop crying wolf. Stop crying wolf. And maybe, maybe, if you start taking yourself seriously, maybe you might find it in your heart to also take God seriously. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.